What's up, boys and girls? This is our very first Luix FM episode, and we wanted to do this right. So, as my very first guest, I have one of my favorite humans to talk to. My buddy Brett Kinellan is here to tell it all. His story is absolutely insane. Working his way back to surfing after a shark attack, despite doctors telling him that he will never be able to walk again, is only just the beginning. His road to recovery, his perspective on the event, and the determination it took to get back into the water is nothing short of amazing. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I do. Brett, how's it going, man? Yeah, really good, Sonny. Uh, long time no see, uh, I suppose you could I say. Know. It's been a while, eh? Very long time, very long time. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, wanted to check in with a few things. Number one, how's my purple car going? <laughs> so, first of all, that purple car got me through uni. And honestly, like it was, it was, I guess like for the size, you know, it was at the time. I did a lot of things in that car. I, I went surfing <laughs> in this car. I even slept at one stage in this car. Wow. Like it, 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 and, and, you know, I have to say, it was also my first car ever. It's my first so, car ever as well. So, so <laughs> that car. Special. And I think I, I sold it to like a, a car. Ah, no, I bought a new one and I kind of traded it in and they still gave me like 600 bucks for it. I think that's oh, actually, yeah. I, I think I paid you 600 bucks for it. Yeah. So in the end, I had them. a free car for like, <laughs> awesome. for like a year and a half. That's the best. <laughs> oh, good to hear. That's That was the main thing I wanted to check in with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like it's the cool thing about the car. I know we're talking about the car and you guys don't know how it looks, but it was a purple car with a, I think it was a black hood, right? It had a couple of different colored panels. I've crashed right, it about right. three times. Yeah. Yeah. And it was definitely, you know, it was an eye catcher. People love yeah. that, 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 you know, multicolored <laughs> like, get up for sure. The best. <laughs> uh, where are you now? Um, I am in Australia. Um, I'm living actually back in, in my hometown. So I know you're obviously from the Gold Coast. I, I lived up there for a year and a half in total, but moved back to Kiama, um, just on the south coast of New South Wales mainly to get a few more uncrowded waves um, and, you know, to be a little bit closer to something that felt more familiar. And uh, growing up here, it's the type of place a lot of people say you, you always come back to, uh, and I'm the perfect example of that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think Barry and I came down there once or twice, and it's mm. it's beautiful. Like, it's obviously if you compare it to the Gold Coast, where wherever you go, there's definitely, like, 50 heads in, in the water all the time. Yeah. Like we serve some really fun waves by ourselves. Like literally yeah. the two or three days we were there. Like it's, it's beautiful. It's yeah. awesome down there. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm coming back for sure, but you guys are still close, yeah. right? Like you're not know, traveling yeah. at the moment. Um, no, no. Well, it's very hard to get in and it's also hard to get out as well. I think us and New Zealand are the only two countries that are trying to keep their citizens in uh, the borders. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're stuck. Are you, because of that, are you doing a lot of trips like in Australia at the moment? Uh, yeah, I like personally, I've done a couple, uh, myself and my girlfriend got away just over New Year's and went down to South Australia. I got family down there, but I think that's probably one of the best things about, you know, the last 18 months for people over here is they actually get to 
explore the country. Like a lot of people, you've got the idea that you want to go travel and everyone just goes to Europe or like goes to America for six months. And there's so much good stuff here, not only just the coastline, but so much of the country that's beautiful. And, you know, because it's so big, it's so hard to see all of it. And I think giving like a lot of people that the time and the opportunity to see it is like one of the best things ever. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's where traveling is going as well, right? Like a little bit closer to home. I mean, mm. now, obviously, because of COVID reasons, but I think in, you know, in the future, when all this stuff blows over, I still think, you know, a lot of people, like you said, right? Like, for me, it's the same. Like, I live in Europe now, and I haven't really explored Europe, right? Usually, you're staying put in one place, and then, like, you kind of, travel to indonesia or the maladies or like you know whatever and that's kind of like that's the, the definition of a holiday but i mean there's a lot of great places like very very close by yeah especially in europe like very yeah. very close by and it's cheap it's accessible right so I, yeah i think that's probably a good point but i reckon also people will just do the exact opposite i'm just saying i'm gonna go as far away as possible because i'm sick of being stuck in one spot so who knows as time goes on, but I think, I think having a bit of time away from prioritizing like travel and, and that side of things has kind of been good for a lot of people because you can focus a little bit more on what's in front of you. But also at the same time, like people are always going to want to travel. Everyone's got that, sure. that, that idea. And, and it's something that, you know, everyone's always going to go back to. Like I can't wait until I can get overseas again. Like as much as I have enjoyed traveling around here, like there's still so much. In need to say yeah and i think like speaking of like traveling like i think that's a good segue to i guess the bulk of what we're talking about today like for you the past i don't know few years they've been it has been a journey because for everybody who who you know doesn't really know you um like brett and i we go way back we went we went to uni together in australia he 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 was um I guess an up and coming surfer from Australia doing the QS. And then like there was one day in your life where bam, it all stopped kind of thing. Like, like I said, for everybody who doesn't know you and your story, um, you were attacked by a shark in when was it? 2016, March, 2016 at the age of 22. And just like your story and like the, and, more so than obviously the attack, but your story of like coming back from it, and even more so than that, the perspective you have is insane. Like if you know, in your own words, like do you do you want to walk us through that day in in March two thousand sixteen? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I, yeah, suppose I suppose that's I, like you, you probably summed it up very well there and you know i think a lot of people talk about the journey and and say it's pretty cliche but when you experience it and kind of go from the start through all of those you know those tough times to i don't know what you could consider an end or a conclusion which i I still don't think i'm at it's the journey is incredible and you know it all starts with something and for me it was the the shark attack 30th of march 2016 um it was really just a day like like any other um for me um, there, there was, you know, I, I think probably the, the main difference, the surf shop I was working into, uh, working in at the time, I was actually broken into that morning, but that was the only thing out of, out of place that day. Um, the reason I actually went surfing that afternoon was kind of just to 
you know, wash off the, that day, you know, dealing with police, cleaning up the shop, replacing the front window, things like that. Um, and, you know, there was nothing, you know, I got asked recently, was there, were there any things you kind of saw along the way that you were like, oh, that's an omen or you shouldn't do this or like, and for me, it was, it was nothing. It was, you know, just a, an everyday sort of occurrence. And I think that's kind of where my story is one that's pretty relatable. Like, uh, I'm just a, a pretty, regular person um at, at the end of the day and i was just doing things that were regular to me at the time that my life completely changed um you know surfing that afternoon was a, a choice i made and and a choice that's really changed my life in a significant way um you know when it comes to the shark attack itself um that that moment for me in sort of realizing the enormity of it didn't happen right away uh, like a lot of people think you kind of you get this feeling of like, oh shit, like this is happening right now. This is bad. But for me, I didn't really have that feeling until I kind of got back to the beach. Cause you know, at the start, when you're realizing what's happening, when you're trying to figure out, you know, what to do as you're being bitten by a shark, like you, you can't prepare for a situation like that. And you know, going through the response of, you know, fight, flight or freeze and, all of that is is kind of out of your control. Like you're, you're acting on instinct there, and that's something that you know, a lot of the things that I did to try and escape the shark, to try and hold it off, that was all just instinct. Like there wasn't much decision making from me. There wasn't much where I was like, okay, this is happening. I need to do this. The only decision that I made throughout that entire experience was to not look at my leg, and that's in a strange way how I was kind of prepared for that moment because I'd always thought to myself if I did get attacked by a shark, you know, and it's such a random thought to have and and a process to try and go through. But I've always said to myself, if I get attacked by a shark, learn from Bethany Hamilton's story. Remember she always said she never looked at her arm and it was something that helped that helped keep her very calm and, you know, she didn't lose blood. And that was really the only conscious decision that I made because I think when it comes to these big life events like that, there is so much that's out of your control. Like a little bit of it is a, a metaphor for life in a way. Like so much of it is out of our control. And, you know, for me, the shark, the attack, getting away from it was was something that I, I couldn't do anything about. But when I do reflect on, on the moment and the attack itself and everything that happened, what I really look towards as the the key pivotal moments that you know kept me alive that gave me the perspective that i do have is the luck that i had talk about bad luck in being bitten by a shark and um you know the odds of that happening is something that a lot of people don't really they can't a lot of people can't visualize it like the odds of being attacked by a shark like the odds are one in 3.6 million and it's so such a large number that a lot of people you know they it's where i think when people are afraid to go in the water and are afraid of sharks, I throw that number at them and they're like, even though it's that number, I'm still afraid of going in the water, even though that number is so huge. But going from something that's so unlucky, all the lucky things that happened to me afterwards are the ones that really helped me gain a, you know, further down the track, especially with the help of hindsight, more of a positive outlook towards it. And, you know, when I talk about luck, it's luck in having my friend Joel there surfing with me that afternoon. Um, it's luck that, you know, when the shark did actually bite through my leg, it missed my femoral artery by a millimeter. You know, if it had touched my femoral artery, I would have been dead before I hit the beach. Um, you know, luck in the way that 
you know, it missed my my actual femur when it bit through my leg. So it meant that later on I didn't you know, have to get my leg amputated because there was no risk of infection. Lucky in the fact that Joel's wife was on the beach that afternoon and she's an intensive care nurse and the only other person walking along the beach that afternoon was also a nurse. So, so lucky in, in so many different ways, even down to, you know, when things were a bit more under control and they sent the helicopter, the first helicopter they, that they sent, they sent to Bondi Beach instead of Bombo Beach, just a miscommunication over the phone. And that might sound unlucky, but the helicopter they sent to Bondi didn't have any blood on it. So when they realized there was nothing going on at Bondi, they had to call back and say, well, it's been a misunderstanding. We need to send you know, a, a new helicopter. But the second one that they sent through it had blood on it and I needed two transfusions on, on the flight to the hospital just to keep me alive. So, you know, the luck in everything that happened after being so unlucky is something that did give me a lot of perspective, especially as I continued to go through that journey that we speak of. And that's something that I reflect on a fair bit, like especially when it comes to trying to, you know, I suppose rationalise what happened or, or why it happened. You know, I, I think, you know, when a lot of people ask me, like, if you had the choice to not paddle out that afternoon, would you have got back in your car and driven the other way? And I say no. Like, I, I think the fact that all of those things lined up and happened to me, it means that, you know, that, that, that event, that life-changing thing was going to chase me down at some point. Um, whether it was through, you know, uh, another shark or what, whatever it might be, I think I was meant to have this experience to kind of give me this perspective that I needed to, to actually change my life completely. Not that I was living a bad life before. Like, I, I was very happy with where my life was. Like I said, you know, doing the, the QS, chasing my dream of becoming a professional surfer. And if I was able to live that out, yeah, I would be very happy. But, I suppose the life I have now and what I've chosen to do with it, it's something that is a lot less self-centered. Like, you know, I, I don't know if other surfers share this thing um, and this view that I have about surfing, that it's such a selfish sport. Like it's Which so is. selfish. It is, yeah. but I, I don't think many sure. people realize that. Like you're out there trying to get the best way for yourself. Like you get jealous of other people on good waves. Like it's a, it's a sport that you do by yourself. Like, like I said, I'd rather surf by myself than with all these people because it means more waves for me. And being able to go from that mindset to something where I can actually, you know, shift and, and be helpful and, and try and include other people in, you know, how I want to leave some kind of legacy is something that's a lot more fulfilling. So, you know, the attack and everything that happened on, on that day, it's a, a vivid memory. And, you know, when I talk about my story so often and you know, I always get questions around the attack, like, and, and people are always intrigued. Like a shark attack is such a, a unique thing and there's always going to be people that have questions and I've been asked all of them, like everything from does it hurt to, you know, what was going through your mind at the time. Like you get asked everything and that's because everyone's everyone is intrigued by it. But I've always taken the stance that, you know, when it comes to me as a person, I, I'd never really wanted to be defined by the attack or being, you know, shark boy or, or the guy that got bitten by the shark. I really wanted to be defined by what I did afterwards, which I think is a, a really important part, especially as we talk about the recovery and that journey moving on. Yeah. No, I think like with, you know, with, with shark attacks, I think it's, it's in the same kind of realm as like surviving or especially surviving a shark attack. 
I think it's in the same kind of realm as like surviving a plane crash, right? Because, because it, it doesn't usually, well, I wouldn't say it doesn't usually happen, but it's, it's one of those things like it happens. Like there's so many planes, you know, like landing and, 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 and departing, um, every day and not a lot of stuff actually happens. And I think it's the same with sharks in the water. I mean, they're there. There's a lot of sharks in, in the water, but then when it happens, usually it turns out pretty bad. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the, for me, it's like, that's the, you know, like the, 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 I guess in a way, the drama that comes with it, that's very intriguing, right? And I think yeah. that's why it's so interesting, especially when you when you talk to somebody who went through this, because usually when we see shark attacks, right, we see them on TV, and they're like, over sensationalized, and like, you know, they're not real. So obviously, like, being able to talk to somebody who, who's been through it, and, 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 you know, like, obviously lived all aspects of it, I think that's what makes it really, really intriguing, right? That, yeah. that, that part, that drama in a way. Mm. You know, the other yeah. thing too that I've found, like that's, that's, that is all that is definitely, definitely, you know, one of the things that a lot of people yeah. resonate, resonate with it in a way that they can't. And I think, yeah. that, I think that is the other thing that I've found is, is people are really people intrigued by it because it's so, so, so foreign to anything that we experience as humans. Like, yeah. I was a part of the food chain, like, and that's such a strange sentence to say because as humans, yeah. we escaped the food chain so long ago. Yeah. And yeah. Or people we just like a food chain as well. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another thing that gets a lot of people where they're like, I've never even never thought about being in that position before. And as yeah. a human, it's not natural for us in this day and age. You know, we don't get chased yeah. by tigers or lions or anything like that. So. To get the perspective from someone who has been in that position, I think is something that a lot of people will always, you know, see the the drama, like you say, or, or see it as such an interesting or intriguing topic because we just don't experience it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like when when it happens, right, or when it happened to you, right, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. Yeah, but they didn't, right. Are you like now, like looking back, are you actually thinking about all these points that could have gone wrong, but they, 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 they didn't. And do you ask yourself like, why, like, or like even like more so like, why me? Like, why did it happen in the first place? And then also like, why, why, why did it happen the way it did? Like it could have gone so many different, different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, for me, like I've definitely found myself asking you know why <laughs> and especially why me like and the tone of why me has changed like in the early days of when it happened especially when i was in hospital the why me was the negative one like it was the victim mentality of you know look at those odds i can't believe this has happened to me like what have i done like how many how many mirrors have I shattered? How many ladders have I walked under for this to actually occur to me because of the odds? But then as I was able to gain the perspective and I look at those things that could have gone wrong and have seen them go right and I think, well, actually, why me? Like, why have I been given this story and, and all these incredible things to talk about? And that's something that really helps me find the purpose and the meaning out of 
the actual attack. And I think that is something that was essential for me to actually grow from it rather than, you know, have that be my reality and have to live that out every single day. And that's when you do become defined by the incident. When you say, why me? Why has that happened to me? That automatically defines you or, or constrains you to being the guy that got attacked by a shark. Whereas now I have a different perspective where I can focus on the fact that I'm so lucky to still be here, first of all, but to be able to you know, do all these things that I'm able to do now and, and provide that as a way for other people to learn. Like the unfortunate thing for a lot of people is that growth often doesn't come without some sort of pain or sacrifice or, or a negative event. It can definitely happen without these, but you talk to a lot of people where these life-defining or life-changing moments are usually because something bad. And because you wouldn't do any, like there's, if nothing happens in a way, right, there's no need mm. to change, exactly. right? The, and, and I guess like in a way, like traumatic experiences, right? Like you hit a roadblock and it kind of, mm. you know, your life for however long it's going to be, but it's, it, it comes to like a standstill. And that's like the time you can actually re reflect, right? And, yeah. and, and see, okay, well, maybe, you know, I have, I have to make some adjustments here, you know, like implement some changes there. But back to the the original question, it's kind of like you say, all right, first I was kind of like the victim and then it turned into like an opportunity or like more of a, I guess, like a calling. But that shift, it doesn't happen overnight, right? No. Like, I mean, there is, there is a there's a process involved and a process that, that, that I guess includes a lot of pain, a lot of frustration. And I, I wanted to talk to you about like how, like when did that shift happen and why it happened? Like, you know, who helped you getting through these, like, I guess like with everything, right? Like we go through these like stages, right? Of, of like, like anger, grief. Mm -hmm. And so on. So I wanted to know, like, who helped you getting through all this to the point where you are now? Yeah, the the short yeah, answer to that is my. The the, the longer the and longer I suppose more insightful answer is uh, around the support. Like when I did have that victim mentality, especially when I was in in hospital, was around. I was looking at all these people, and I was so fortunate to have. You know, so many messages on my phone come through, people visiting me in hospital, people calling me, wishing me well. And at the start, I couldn't really acknowledge that because I was sitting there so deep in what I was going through thinking they, you know, even though they are wishing me well, they don't actually know what I'm going through because they haven't been there themselves. And that's a toxic way of actually looking at the support that's around you. And when I say my dad was one of the biggest things that changed me there was because he got me to start looking at, my situation in terms of those other people. Um, and he started out just by pointing out, you know, my family and what they were going through. <clears throat> like, like, as I started looking at my family and, and how they were going through the experience too, like with my sisters, they were both living away at the time. They were trying to get you know, flights back to see me. They were dealing with the media, which is always a terrible part of the experience. You know, they were going through a lot. Um, like my mum was amazing in the hospital but she was dealing with the the surgeons you know, trying to do research which is she's not qualified for but she was really the decision maker and that's like a lot of stress on her because she felt like the outcome of my surgery or, or anything there was gonna you know kind of reflect on her decision making but my dad 
after pointing these things out, he kind of gave me his own experience and, and shared his perspective on the situation. And it's important to know what my dad's background is. He's worked in emergency services his entire life. So he's, he was a firefighter and then worked his way up through the ranks there. But usually in critical situations, he's the type of person that can jump in and like provide help or, you know, be the hands-on person because it's what he's done as a career. And because my parents only lived about five minutes away from, from Bombo Beach, they were able to get there before I was airlifted away. And he said that he was driving the beach and he had all these ideas in his head of, you know, how he was going to be able to help, like just kick into what he's used to. But when he got down to the beach, he was actually just being held back, like not being able to provide help, watching as a bystander. And the words he said to me was, I was watching you go the color that people go right before they die. And him being able to outline his own story and, you know, the way that it had also affected him not only got me to realize that I could actually be a little bit more vulnerable in my own emotions and, and my experience, but it got me to realize that my my story, my, you know, the, the shark attack incident on me was actually affecting those around me as well. And on a bit more of a broader sense, it got me to realize that everyone sort of has their own struggles and their own setbacks, not only just for this specific moment, but this is just a thing in life. Like we'll all go through struggles at some stage and, you know, whether your struggle is a shark attack or, you know, another trauma or just a, a you know, combination of a lot of things that can happen in life, going through those struggles is, is perfectly normal. And that's why I say, you know, it is unfortunately how we, we learn and how we grow, but Getting that perspective was something that got me to actually look at the support that was around me and start embracing it rather than pushing it away. And as I started to work through my recovery, I, I realized that I wanted to put in the best effort I could to kind of say thank you to those people because when I gained the perspective and, and realized how important it is to have those people around me, that was really what spurred me on and got me to, to want to, you know, be more active in my recovery and, and actually you know, get better and, and really turn things around. So, you know, the I think a lot of it does come from that support. And, you know, I was, like I said, very fortunate and very lucky to have a great amount of support around me. And, you know, a lot of times when we do go through a, a, a tough, tough patch in life, you know, or if we suffer something that is, uh, like an injury or a setback like that, we often think we do have to get through it by ourselves, but we can actually lean on others and, and use them to help us get through those tough times as well. And I think for me that when I look back is one of the, the key things that helped me shift that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said it, right? Like you, you mentioned recovery and you, you mentioned support. Mm. Um, and I want to talk to you about Again, like going back to this day, right? Like that day changed everything for you, right? Like, because not only were you attacked by a shark, it, it also kind of like rerouted your whole destiny or like, I guess, shaped your way of life, right? Like after. So obviously like it kind of, in a sense, you lost your identity because before the attack, you were an up and coming surfer, you know, doing the QS, um, basically just starting out your professional career. And then like after the, the attack, or let's go right after the, the attack, you didn't know what was going to happen. Like at first they said, well, we have to literally cut off your leg. 
then they, they it was kind of like, oh, no, never mind. We can save your leg, but you will never walk again. And then once once that initial shock was over, they were like, oh, no, never mind. You will walk, but you will never surf again. And now fast forward, you know, a couple of years, you're surfing, you're shooting your own documentary, which we get to it later. But like how from a mental health point of view, like how was it to like deal and not only deal, but process, you know, all these initial, um, I guess, like fate in life, right? Like what, what went through your mind and like, how did you get through it? Like from, okay, we have to cut off your leg to like, oh no, um, you, you just can't walk again to, oh no, you can't surf again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was tough. And like, when I do look back and, you know, what really got me into that position where I wasn't acknowledging the support. And when I did add that victim mentality, it was really a result of that loss of purpose and identity because, you know, up until the day that I was attacked by a shark and even on the day, like training to chase the dream I'd had since I was 11 years old when I first stepped on a surfboard. Like everything in my life had been leading up to this one point. And, you know, surfing for me, it wasn't just a sport. It wasn't just a sport that I happened to be good at. It was, you know, my, my career. Like, you know, I, I went and did surfing studies with, with Sunny at university, which, you know, I need someone else to clarify that it's a real subject because people still don't believe me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's why, like, I stopped saying it and I just yeah. say, oh, we studied sports management. It sounds yeah. so much better, right? It does. It does. <laughs> Like there was, I remember, sorry, sorry, sorry. I have to like cut cut in here. I remember when, um, it was my graduation and at the time I was doing two degrees and because I wasn't going to my first graduation, I got all my diplomas in, in one go. So I got like three diplomas, right. At the same time. And when they said like, okay, (laughs) here is your diploma. And over loudspeaker as well. They go like, uh, here's your diploma for surfing studies. Like people were literally laughing. Like I could hear them talk like, wait, what? Like that's not even like, that's, that, that's not real. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, that's, that's what I've been dealing with. Like when I do share my story, I say the same thing. I say like to give the background, I said, did surfing yeah. studies at uni and always people were like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's why so, I gave up. It's sports oh, management. It's, yeah, I might start giving that a go. <laughs> so anyway, like even, sorry. even even doing that like it is a real thing it is what i was doing to help me develop a career in surfing because when i finished that i managed to surf shop i started my own surf school like surfing for me was more than just the sport it was it was all of that it was the, the you know direction of my career it's where my friends were it was my coping show. like having that taken away from me was so difficult because it was all that I had, it was like all I represented was surfing and, and everything I wanted to be was, was within that. So being told I could never do it again was something that like that hurt even more than being told I couldn't walk again. Mm. And I think the reason it hurt so much is because like the way that the doctors phrased it, it was walking is going to be very, very difficult. And they, they laid it out. They said, you'll probably be in a wheelchair for a long time. Crutches are pretty good. Um, best case scenario, you'll have a device that straightens out your leg as you move forward. Like, there was kind of the, the maybe element to that. And they said, you know, being active, living a, an active lifestyle is going to be, you know, because of that, a, a big challenge. But when they said you'll never surf again, that was the only thing for certain. It's like someone just ripping away who you are. It's like, yeah. it's, I, I can't even describe how it made me feel in that moment. 
because it was I was going through that sense of grief like that sense of loss and that for me was was something that it hit me so hard and really that's what caused me to to go through the struggle where I wasn't seeing that support and I wasn't coping with with the situation that I was in it really came down to to that loss of purpose and identity and that's hard to to actually work through because I had to start from scratch like I had to start from well if I can't surf then what can I do like how can I fill this big hole that's been left there like it's it's a scary place to start from and and that's again one of those things that you can't do by yourself like you need some people to help you along here because like I mentioned, surfing was where all my friends were. I was lucky that they could still come and visit me in hospital. You know, they didn't talk about surfing when I was there because they knew how much I was hurting at the time, but I could still keep those friendships and I still had those connections, which kind of provided a bit of a foundation where I could start implementing these other things to help manage you know, not only myself through that time, but my mental health as well. Because yeah. you know, when it comes to managing mental health, talking about it and using your support networks is is amazing but we need the the coping strategies to go alongside that as well you know those tangible things that we can actually implement to to manage our mental health and the very first thing i did um and i didn't know i was doing it at the time was to go outside in the summer like i literally was just sick of being inside for for weeks on end when i was still in hospital and i just asked to be wheeled outside like i didn't know that sunlight is actually something that's good for your mental health like it's backed by science oh for sure yeah absolutely i just knew it made me feel good and it was something i wanted to do every single day but the thing about using sunlight as a coping strategy is you know it gets cloudy from time to time so you can't use it every single day so for me that process started building different things i could do to kind of fill that gap that surfing had left and that really helped me through the recovery because as i got into my recovery Surfing kind of got reintroduced as a possibility. Uh, and that's something I didn't really expect. But having these other things that I could work on and, and leaning on the support that I had really helped me work through the recovery as I was trying to, to eventually get back to these, these goals that were set around, you know, walking in and, and getting back in the water and surfing again. Yeah. I mean, what I wanted to know is like, who set these goals, right? Was it you or was it like a combination of like doctors, I guess, like PTs, family members, and obviously yourself as well? Because like, obviously, again, it's all about the process, right? Like mm. first, all right, you need surgery to save your leg. Then you need whatever rehab to be able to walk again. And then from there, you know, your ultimate goal was, well, I want to be surfing again. So obviously, mm. you know, being able to walk helps, but then like there is, a, there's this whole other, like, I guess like training regimen that you have to go through in order to just step on, on the board again. So like yeah. these, you know, these like when it comes to goal setting, like when did you actually realize that, Hey, shit, I actually have a real shot. At walking again and then further down the down the you know down the line it's like oh shit i actually have a real shot at surfing again yeah the i'll do it in order because walking came first and walking was a pretty important part when it came to goal setting because as i was able to go through and this is when i was still in hospital um kind of go through just that early recovery the 
like one of the big milestones is when I was able to just stand up in it, not unaided, like I had a, a big frame that I was leaning on. Um, and it went from just standing up to they let me kind of shuffle around the room. Like I still wasn't able to put any weight on it. Um, but then the distances I was allowed to go kind of got increased every single day. So goal setting for me at the start, it looked like, okay, I'm going to do like one lap of the ward. And then the next day I was like, I'll do two laps of the ward. Not properly walking, but still moving around and, and trying to get a bit of movement there. And it got to the point where I just spent like an entire day just walking laps around the ward. And I was just so happy to be up and moving and, and to be doing these things. And I'd realized that, you know, as I was going around, I was able to maybe put a little bit of weight on it. I didn't know how well it was going to work, but feeling like I could kind of walk again came just through my belief of if I can keep improving, you know, little bit by little bit every day, then I might be able to get back to a point where I you know, might not have to be on crutches. I can maybe walk, walk around a little bit more. And I just took that approach to the recovery. It's just trying to do a little bit more every single day to try and improve where it was. Like that was such an important part of the mindset there. But as I left hospital and kind of went into, you know, the, this big wide world of this is my life now. And, you know, the, the recovery, it's not up to the specialist now. It's up to, up to me. I felt, you know, a little bit lost, but I was lucky that I had uh, my physiotherapist to, to actually help me along the way. Um, and he's actually the person that I credit with setting the goal of surfing again. Like without him, I probably wouldn't have put that down as a goal because he, um, I only came across this recently. I looked back at the message that he sent me while I was still in hospital. He just sent me a message, introduced himself, said, you know, we, we don't know each other. I'm friends with your mate, Joel. Um, I've got a physio, um, practice in Kayama. When you're finished, come and see me. I want to help you with your, with your rehab and then the line that he had at the bottom of it was probably the most impactful thing to the way i started looking at my recovery he said people fail not from aiming too high and missing but it's from aiming too low and and actually hitting those goals and leaving all of this potential on the table so when i actually went in and saw him for the first time he said let's set those goals we spoke about and he wrote down surfing at the top of the whiteboard and even though I wasn't 100% sold on the fact that I could do it again, I was pretty grateful just to have the opportunity to try and work towards that and to use that same, um, you know, process of trying to get a little bit better each day. And, you know, that really comes down to that hard work part of the process to try and achieve that. And whether I was able to step on a surfboard or not is something that I learned as I kept going. Like a lot of people are afraid of setting those lofty goals because failure feels terrible. Like when yeah. we don't, succeed like it feels shit like it's not something that we naturally like to do as humans but i realized that at least i had the opportunity to try and if i could work as hard as i could and try and be better each day like be better than the person i was yesterday even if i failed the the real pride is it's all housed in, in the effort like it's not in the outcome it's in what you do to get there and that's where i think the journey is so important because that's really the the part of, of my story that I place a lot of emphasis on. And I've said before, that's not being defined by what happened to you. That's what you did afterwards, not where you got to afterwards. It's really the actions that you display to help you, yeah. you know, better your situation. So really I, I have to credit Scott to, you know, giving me that mindset and, and helping me not only believe in those goals, but leave, but believe in myself to try and achieve them. I mean, Again, like obviously goal setting was really 
was really big early on in your your recovery. But and it was kind of like it was a two way process. It was you setting some goals and then your physiotherapist, right, Scott. But yeah. in this process, did you have was there a time where you were like, okay, I gotta prepare for life after, or I gotta have a plan B in case it doesn't work out. Was that was was there like a time in your life where you were like, okay, what's my plan B in case I will never surf again? What's the plan B? What's the alternative? I didn't really give myself, give myself that that thought until I'm get, I'm gonna say a lot later on. Like I, I haven't really thought about this too much because I was so invested in trying to achieve those goals that that was really all I cared about. Um, you know, if I didn't achieve them, I would have had to have you know reset and, and maybe thought, okay, well, what what can I do now? But when it comes to sort of the, the plan B side of things, like my my initial goals was just to get back surfing, get back in the water. Um, the other two goals that, that we set when, when we set the surfing one was just simple ones to get back in the car and get back to work. And getting back to work was getting back to working in the surf shop and surf coaching, which really was putting me in, in the direction of my old life. Yeah. And as I, I kind of got back into that and, you know, overcoming a lot of those things, getting back to as, you know, some sort of normality, I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, is this like the end of my story? Like, is this a point where you know, I'm happy with, with where I'm at? I'm going to keep working in the surf shop and, and just be happy here. And the plan B only really came as a reflection of like opportunity and kind of looking at my situation and, and what I wanted to do with it because I decided I didn't really want that to be where my story finished. Like, I realized that there was so much more I could keep doing. And I consistently just kept asking myself like what next like if you've achieved these things then what can you do now to prove that you can not only walk and walk unassisted you can not only surf but compete in surfing i kept setting myself and kind of reevaluating um these these new goals or these new opportunities to try and hit and that was a big thing that caused me to be like this is something that goes beyond just the story this for me is the way i actually want to live my life now is is to have that same approach to to what i do with everything and that for me is really where the the plan b or the the newer version of of what i do now came from and i think you know it's like a natural reaction as well because i guess like you know for anyone who's been through like an at traumatic experience and i'm sure you know people listening now they, they 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 can attest to it at the beginning when it happens your world is so small mm. and then once you know you 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 process that that initial shock and you start working through the trauma you work keep like your world keeps expanding and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you see because at first, you only see obviously like four walls of your hospital room. And then all of a sudden, like you go into the, you know, there's rehab and then there's walking. And, and I guess like it, 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 your world keeps expanding. And I think that's where, at least for me personally, this is how, you know, like where motivation comes from to, yeah. you know, to, 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 to get better, to get you know, to strive for more. And I think motivation, I'm, I'm guessing for you as well, like it's, it was a big part through everything. Yeah, definitely. And 
the way I actually, I, I think that's a really great way of explaining it. Like your, your world keeps expanding. The way that I usually put it to people is I use like an analogy of, of climbing mountains. Like for my entire life, like I was climbing this one mountain, which was to be in surfing, become a professional surfer. And when I was bitten by a shark, I tumbled all the way down to the bottom of that mountain and I was sitting there not knowing what to do, not knowing if I could get back to the top of that mountain. And as I went through my recovery, I actually started climbing that mountain again, okay, getting back to where I was. And when I actually got back to where I was, I had more perspective. So I was able to look up and, and actually see that it wasn't just this one mountain. It was actually so many other ones. And that was kind of my world expanding and, and having a look around and being like, well, that mountain's actually taller. Like this one here is different, but it's it's exciting. And for me, that perspective of the world is always, you know, it keeps expanding and that only happens through experience and what you learn and kind of realizing that potential and being motivated by that is was huge for me. So I kind of use that that mountain climbing analogy as, as a, a good way of doing that because so often we just get focused on, you know, we're just looking at the top of this, this peak that, that we're climbing. What's in front of you. Right? Exactly. Like people, first of all, forget, about looking at their very next step <laughs> and we can get focused on you know trying to get five six steps ahead and that's when people get focused on the the outcome rather than the process but because we do get so focused on that journey that we are on we often forget to actually put our head up and, and look around and see what else is, is there yeah and i guess that leads to my next point i want to talk about like let's let's fast forward to when you were back on this like mountain or you know a mountain that's that that was even taller with more with more opportunities more i guess like a different outlook and purpose in life right so and obviously like i know this this like throughout this process of you going you know from the initial attack to going to all the media coverage to to um you know, your rehab and obviously like you were quite vocal about it. And also you shared your, your experience, you know, a lot. So what I noticed was that like before it happens or before it happened, I should say, um, you were a very talented surfer, you know, going through the ranks of the QS, but you weren't really backed by you know, big brands or, 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 or sponsors per se. And now like today, obviously like, you know, your, your profile raised quite a lot. Like you have Bisla who's backing you, you have, you know, like, um, other sponsors, right? So I want to talk about, do you think that the, and I guess the way I want to, I want to put this is like, do you think the shark attack, everything that happened needed to happen in order for, for bread as a person to be relevant enough or to be interesting enough to get picked up by all these brands. Do you think it, it was, they kind of like piggybacking off your story and this needed to happen in order to, in order, like A needed to happen in order for B to happen or, do you think that was just the, I guess, also part of the journey, part of the process? I think there's there's probably different pathways that that comes by. Like everyone's journey is a little bit different in that regard. I think one of the, I realized the same thing pretty early on. Like when the attack happened, and especially in the early days when it's all going through media and, and stuff like that. When I was like growing up and you know, I look at 
what my favorite surf magazines were and, and my favorite websites. And I always wanted to be featured on like Stab Magazine. And the day that the attack, the attack happened, actually it might have been the day after, they put up a post of like my most recent clip and it had the title of oh, the guy that just got bitten by a shark actually rips. And I was like, oh, like it's taking this for you guys to, to put this up. And um, like for me, that was the, the thing where I was like, well, at least I was able to get, you know, one of my, my videos on Stab. <laughs> I've been able to tick off a, a bit of a, a lifelong goal there. But I think it does unfortunately sometimes take something like that for people to really take notice. But when it comes to, you know, being supported by some bigger brands and um, it's, it's another thing. Like when I was younger, I always put so much pressure on myself to pick up a sponsor for some reason. Like you put so much importance on that and it's really not what matters. For me, like if there's any advice to, to younger kids who think they need to pick up a sponsor, it's first of all, don't worry about it. Um, hopefully you've got parents that are supporting you. Um, like I, I was lucky that I had my parents that were very supportive. Um, being sponsored isn't, you know, the, the be all and end all. Like it helps with exposure, but a lot of people think that just means that you got to have, you know, the, you, you got to surf the best and get the best comp results or, or whatever. But really getting sponsored, you got to stop thinking about it in the way of, of you. Like I deserve this. And that's kind of what I had up until that point. And it's, again, it kind of adds to that selfish point of view that surfers often have is like, yeah, I was pretty, not arrogant, but I felt like I deserved some sort of recognition. Um, and I think a big part of that is you look around and you start comparing yourself to others and saying, oh, I surf, I'm going to surf better than them or the same as them or I've had the same results as that person. But one thing I've realized is that for, for me, I don't really take much pride in, in, you know, putting a sticker on the nose of my board because I'm really just sponsored as not so much a surfer, but as a, a good person. Like, that's that's really what it comes down to like people if they align with what you know if you have good values and and people want to align with that then then it'll work out but it's really not the the be all and end all as i look back like i was able to achieve more by being attacked by a shark than i was if i had sponsors beforehand <laughs> but if you could rewrite the story right your story mm. your personal story yeah would you rather you know being or having the profile you have now before the attack and then the, the you know the 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 shark attack was kind of like a bonus or you don't care that it actually happened probably or partially because of you know what happened to you and 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 your story or you just like i said you just don't care it is what it is and it's it's all part of i guess the business you know yeah like at, at like the end of the day it is it is what it is like i think that's um probably the the most australian saying to live live by um but i think i think it it happened to me at a good time like i was obviously building to the point where maybe i would have achieved a lot of that stuff but maybe that wasn't the the life or the person that i was meant to be um yeah and i think you know if if things had happened differently and you know i had built more of a profile and then it happened i still think i'd have the same outlook i do have um, yeah. I don't think that would have really changed, you know, the way in which I, I reacted, or or maybe even the the goals that I've I've set for myself now. Because I think a lot of people do get to that point in life where they they realise there is a bit more to it than, than surfing. Like you, you look at you know, the age a lot of surfers retire, with the exception of like Kelly, they're kind of getting younger and younger. Like you look at 
Julian Wilson this week taking a break from the tour to focus on his family. Like it's when you do participate in a sport, and I've said it a couple of times already, that is so selfish. It's you will reach that point where you look around and say, "What well, am I actually missing out on?" Yeah, and I think everything kind of happened at a good time for me to realize all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess like the next point is kind of like looking back, right? Do you think everything that happened the last couple of years was, in hindsight, a blessing? Because elite, it, it led you to where you are now? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, talk about purpose and identity as being a big thing that I struggled with losing at the start. If I had known that I was going to come out of it with a new purpose and a new identity, I think I would have been a lot more okay with it at the start. But we do have to go through that tough time to be able to realize it. But for all that was taken away in the moment that I got bitten by the shark, not only just physically, but you know, in that purpose, in that identity, it's given me so much more in the long run. You know, not so not just like not just the profile, like it's so much more than that because it's it's around the the perspective on life and, and how short it is and being able to cherish what it actually means to have opportunity in front of you and the way in which I look at, you know, potential and, and so many other parts of that. But most importantly, I look at my story and I say, you know, when it comes to me wanting to have a, a positive impact or, or leave some kind of legacy, it's what can I do to help use this experience to try and help others? And that's where my new sort of purpose, my new identity comes from is using the person that I have been able to come to hopefully make an impact on other people's lives because I think that's one of the greatest things that we can do as humans is to look past ourselves and to, to try and help or guide others. And that's something I didn't have before. Like even, even if I was able to achieve all the things I wanted to do competitively, I don't think I would have been able to have the same impact that I do today. Um, and especially if I compare it to the person I was exactly when it happened because that was really the only thing I could compare it to. Like, you can sell someone a surfboard and it can, you know, make them happy, but it's not going to change their lives. Right. And I think that's one of the most important things that I, I wake up and the things that motivates me every single day is that I have that opportunity. Because that's the thing, right? Like when it comes to materialistic stuff, right? Like it, it, it inflicts, I guess, like joy for only, you know, a short amount of time, right? Like you buy something, you're stoked about it, but then like, it becomes kind of like redundant. Like you, you're already chasing the next, you know, the next thing. And I think that's why, like, once you have a greater purpose than just, you know, a new surfboard or, yeah. you know, a sticker or a sponsor, or whatever, right? Like it, it all becomes kind of relevant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, Again, it's one of the ones or one of those topics where you, you don't often think about it until you are impacted by it in this way. And it's something that, you know, being materialistic in, in this day and age with how easy it is to be materialistic with phones, technology and like fashion, things like that. It's so easy to compare yourself to others and say, I need to get that. It's going to make me feel good. But really, there's a lot more to life. Um, and if, I'm able to help someone realize that. Hopefully it will be able to take the pain and suffering side out of it where they can have the attitude that they would probably get eventually through that bad experience. But 
hopefully give it to them through perspective and, and through story because you know that's that's something that i i want to try and do i i heard a really good quote this week um that i've actually been trying to live by um not so much live by but try and tell a lot of people and it's the quote that you know we've got two lives you've got the first one but the second one starts when you realize you've only got one life and a lot of people that moment in time can can come in in different forms but i think that's such a powerful thing for a lot of people to realize yeah absolutely for sure because that's like sometimes we just live you know day by day and and with no purpose right we 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 just kind of we just live for living really like it's something we have to do right but i i think once again and it comes back to like having this like thing or made or trauma or 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 just i guess this event that kind of changes everything because in the end of the day like it all comes down to awareness and i think like once something happens you're much more aware of like of uh, um you know the impact you have or 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 the life you're living or or the, or the purpose right yeah yeah and like i i try and tell a lot of people as well you don't like i'm not the only person that can have that impact on people like you don't have to go out and get bitten by a shark to want to help people or to motivate people or inspire people like anyone can do this like it really comes down to self-awareness and knowing that you can serve uh, an amazing purpose not only for your own life but for other people as well and a lot of the time it does come down to you know just being a good person which a lot of people do have at their core like a lot of people yeah. want to help people and, and see them succeed um and i think a lot of the times we, we forget that and it, it's sometimes we we need that bit of a reminder and that's something that i try and try as much as, as possible to to put out there for people yeah and i think i mean that's a good point right like you don't need a crazy event to happen in order to help others or inspire others but i do think you know as human beings right we love references yeah right like we we love to like we're competitive by by nature so we want to we we there needs to be some sort of common goal to work towards right and i think yeah. like if a guy like you who goes like hey i was attacked by a shark they told me i can never walk again i can never surf again they maybe even have to cut off my leg and like look at me now mm -hmm. i'm surfing I'm, I'm 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 back i think like it makes it makes it easier for people to relate and yeah. use you right and your story as a reference because they go like hey if this guy you know, made it back, then I can do too, yeah. right? And I, I, and I do think like, obviously you don't have to, but it, it's easier to, to relate to a story as crazy as yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even, even if you don't relate to what has exactly happened, like yeah. a lot of people can understand setback or loss and the story really just adds credibility to a message that a lot of people are trying to say. Um, it's the attention getter, like, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, everything yeah. you say after that is is where you have the opportunity to to give the impact. And yeah. like, it's just credibility, right? Like, it, it comes is. down to credibility. And I mean, what if somebody who lives in a freaking castle, you know, like gets get has a bunch of servants and and and, and butlers around them, like trying to like tell somebody to change the world and and what to do 
versus a guy who actually went through it all. You know, yeah. it's just had, it has more weight. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's all, it depends on how you look at it and what scale you look at it as well. Like, I'm not going to say that everyone has to go out there and, you know, shout your own story from the top of a rooftop and hope you're going to help people because, you know, unfortunately, you know, you see a lot of people who will call themselves like a, a motivational speaker or a life coach. And when a lot of people do sit down and listen to them and realize that they've just wanted to feel important and give themselves that title, that there's no real substance to it. It's not saying that person can't help anyone because they, you know, I always say it's about the scale because if you just want to help one person, anyone can do that. You can sit down with your closest friend and help them. And if that's your goal, then that's that's amazing. But it all depends on scale. Like you don't have to go out and, and do what I do, like sharing my story. It's not something that comes naturally to me or easily to me. Like you, you know me from university. I was shy. Like I would never Absolutely. stand in front of a group of people and yeah. talk about myself. And, and that's something that I get from perspective and knowing that my story having that that weight and that credibility can can have the opportunity to help many but it doesn't matter if you have a story or not you still have the opportunity to be a good person and help other people even if you are the person living in the in the tower maybe give one of your servants a, a break a longer break for lunch like it's, yeah. it all comes down to the small things right absolutely and i think it it also comes down to again motivation right like why you're doing it, yeah right and i think we touched, you touched on it already. Like sometimes with life coaches and, 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 and I guess like, yeah, life coaches or, 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 or business coaches or, or, or whatever, it's not necessarily that they are wrong or, or they're doing it the wrong way, but sometimes it comes down to, 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 they want it, they want to make money, right? It comes down to actually monetizing their knowledge right yeah. and and versus somebody like you who who is genuinely interested in helping people right and i think that yeah. should be that should be the bottom line like the 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 the, the main motivation should be helping people yeah not making money from it you know you can see that clearly uh, in the mental health space at the moment um like the, the everyone that's working in the mental health space at the moment in in Australia, I can't speak for other countries. Still, I'm not sure of exactly what it's like, but everyone working in the mental health space in Australia is doing it at the moment because they care. Like they've actually started. There's there's no like wealth of funding that's in the mental health space, so you're not doing it for the cash. But I compare it to what's happened in like the disability space in Australia. Like they've funded a lot of the disability space, and you've had a flood of these people that have seen the money and, and come in to chase that and the motivation's different. They're in there for the money, not because they genuinely care. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who are not doing the right thing in that space. But it does really come down to the motivation for why you are doing something in, in the first place. And when you start looking at it of, yeah, how can I make money out of these people doing it? It's it's not the right the right way to do it. Like if if I can make a living out of what I do, then that's that's great. It it allows me to keep doing it. But my main motivation is to, to help people. Um, you know, a lot of people, that's, I mean, for, for myself, that's why I've never called myself, a, you know, a life coach or, or necessarily even a, a motivational speaker. Like I call myself a storyteller because that's what I do. I share my story. Like I, I don't have the life experience to be a life coach. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, and that's a, that's a really good segue as well because you are very involved 
in mental health and you actually work in the industry as well. Like, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the MH, MHM movement? Yeah. So, so um, something, um, something that, that it's, it's probably good to explain like how I got into to that because when I did get to a certain point in my recovery, I, I did realize that I wanted to use my story to help others. Um, and I didn't really know how to do that. Initially, I thought it was going to be through um, being a figure like Scott was for me. So seeing people go through trauma and being there to not only support them through the physical recovery, but also the mental recovery. And I was talking to Scott about this one day and, and he said, that's a, a great idea, but you're going to have to do four years at uni um, to do the physio side of things. You might even have to do you know, extra to do psychology or whatever on top of that. And he said, I've got an idea for you. He said, my wife actually works for this company, the Mental Health Movement. Um, they're getting pretty busy. They might not need more people coming on. I'll, I'll see if they, they want to have a chat. So for me, wanting to help people, having a vague idea but not really knowing how to get into it, I kept a pretty open mind. I was like, okay, I'll go and, go and have a chat, figure out what they're about. And when I was talking to Dan, who started the company, he was just explaining the approach and, and what they do. And it's about providing the lived experience side of things. So telling stories to connect because that's something that we all have. Like we all have our own stories and connect with like, as we've already covered a, a bunch of times, we, we can all connect with different parts of different stories that really breaks down the, the barriers and breaks down the stigma that surrounds the mental health space. So then you can start to educate on a bit of a deeper level and you can realize that these people standing in front of me are just like me. And what a lot of people often do is when you go in there and start talking about mental health, they immediately think you're going to talk about mental illness and suicide and, and things around that. And whilst it's important to educate on that, we really need to know that everyone has a mental health and everyone's managing it. So this applies to everyone. So if you put it in those everyday terms, it's something that's a lot more accessible for people. So once I heard the approach and I was like, okay, well, who do we do this to? Like, is it, um, like, do we do? Talks, functions, what is it? He goes, we do it in the workplace, we do it in schools, community groups, sporting organizations, all over Australia. And I was like, that covers so many different areas and a lot of things I really care about, especially getting it in schools to the younger people, um, sporting clubs and, and things like that, where I, I, as soon as I heard the approach, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And you know, I've been, been with the company for 18 months now. And again, like we were saying before, before I could sell someone a surfboard and it could make them happy, but doing the work I do now, um, the ability to change someone's life is something that I've, I've never had from anything else before. So a lot of purpose and identity through that, which I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to do. Now it's, and I think it's also, you know, it's important and you, and you see it that it, it becomes important in whatever aspect, aspect of life as well. Like you see, um, professional athletes, professional surfers, you know, talking about mental, mental health. And I think it's just once, and this, what you said before, right? There's a stigma around mm -hmm. it. But I think once people who have something to say and, and, you know, quote unquote, are someone, you know, in our, in our society, it, it opens up a conversation. Yeah. And what people don't realize is like, mental health doesn't always have to be negative like there's yeah. it's not it's not it's not negative or positive it's just something that's there and we have to be aware of it exactly yeah and 
the way in which everyone manages their own mental health is different. Like we're all different as humans, but what we do have in common is the fact that we're all managing mental health. And that's one of the things for a lot of people that once you realize that, like even in the simplest terms that you've like, you're, you know, managing your, like you're exercising or, or, you know, doing something like that. It's, it's the same concept when it comes to our mental health. And when people get that perspective and realize that it can be broken down in such a, a simple term that, you know, you don't have to be thinking about it as like lab coats and like putting magnets and like electroshocks through your brain, which is what a lot of people immediately go towards, like as far as they think, because that's the stigma. That's what right. a lot of people have been conditioned to believe, not only just through conversation, but like media through like movies and, and pop culture. That's what people think mental health is. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's a good time to talk about your own mental health, right? Like obviously like fast forward now you're surfing, you're back in the, in the water. You, um, again, you shooting your own documentary, uh, you picked up sponsors, but I want to go back to the day where you hit the water for the first time after everything happened. Like how important was mental health? And, 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 and when you hit the water now, like, does it still play on your mind? You know, everything that happened, the shark, the attack, like, tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Um, like uh, as far as the importance on the day, like I, I was kind of in a position where everything was kind of leading towards that. Like the recovery had gained momentum in that direction. I started really believing getting to that point. And I think I did start to put a lot of expectations on, on myself. Like the biggest thing I struggled with in getting back in the water was the still that, that fear of failure of not being able to do it, despite the fact that I should have been happy either way, you know, if I was able to do it or, or not able to do it. But the biggest thing was still comparing myself to the surfer that I was before. Like, was I going to be able to paddle on a board? Was I going to be able to stand up? Like, what what was this going to mean for me? Um, that was a, a big thing that I really struggled with, especially leading up to there and, and after the first surf that I had because the first surf I had was just riding a longboard at, at you know, Jaroa down. You know, there's a beach about 10 minutes away from where I live and, like, waves one foot. It was... There was so much you know, angst in leading up to that moment. And I think when I was able to finally do it, it was like a, it was just this feeling of relief, like being able to overcome all these things and, and get back to something so simple, like being in the water, not, not necessarily the standing up, not necessarily the doing the turns part. Like I've got a photo of uh, myself and my, my best friend Nick surfing like a one foot wave on longboards. And it's the best photo I, I have of me surfing. And like, if you showed that to me beforehand, like before the attack, before any of that, and said, this is going to be your favorite photo of surfing, I would have laughed at you. And for me, it really comes down to like what the photo represents in that journey. Not only, you know, everything I went through, but what I learned along the way and how important that's been, especially as I look back now in, in shaping how I actually approach my life now, because really a lot of those fundamentals are things that I, I go to every day to, to manage myself in, in what I'm doing. Cause that was like the biggest thing, like the, the physical recovery was one thing, but the mental recovery was, was something that was a lot more difficult and took a lot more time and a lot more effort 
and being more deliberate in trying to, to actually take care of it rather than, you know, just going to the gym and working out. Like it was a lot more, you know, difficult and, and intimate for me as well to, to work through that. So having the tools to, to, you know, better manage both sides of my life is something that has, has helped me massively now and, and something that helps me continue to, to you know, be in a pretty good space myself. Uh, which is really essential when it comes to being able to provide some information for other people when it comes to, to mental health. What's your relationship to the ocean and sharks, I guess, in particular now? Now is the same as before. I don't think it's changed my relationship with the ocean. Um, if anything, it's probably given me more respect for sharks, which I think is a surprising thing for a lot of people to hear. Um, the respect I have for sharks comes from knowing how good they are at what they do. Like, and it's an unfortunate place to get that perspective from, you know, being, like I said, on the other side of the food chain there. But one of the things that happened early on, uh, in, in hospital was they were trying to identify what shark it was. Um, and this was actually a write up in, in the paper was they were trying to figure out what shark it was because they said, you know, if it's, we, we think it's a great white. Um, if it's a, a bull shark or a tiger or anything else, let us know because, um, you know, we can go and hunt them and cull them. And I'd never, ever, ever liked the idea of that. It just seemed so ridiculous to me that they were going to go and try and, you know, hunt or kill a shark because of what had happened to me. So I just told them it was a great white. Like I knew it was a bull shark all along. Um, but I knew it was, I just said. So wait, a, it was a bull shark. It was a bull shark. It's still reported as a great white. Yeah, yeah, because all the all the media, like all the articles online, it talks yeah. about the great white. Yeah, and that's because that's within the record, right? So there's a, a newspaper heading that says like, you know, shark attack survivor doesn't want shark coming, and it was it came from that. Like they they didn't necessarily know that it was a bull shark, but I said I don't want them hunting the shark. Yeah. So I think. You know, having that perspective, and I think, again, that's something that surprises people. Like, how can you be bitten by a shark and not have any bad feelings towards them or, you know, not look at them in a different light? But they really are incredible creatures. Um, I was actually able to get in the water probably two months ago um, and actually just dive with some grain sharks close to, to where I live here, um, which is obviously a completely different shark, you know, nature-wise to you know, a bull shark or, or anything else. But... It's just so incredible to be up up close with them and, and you know look at how how amazing they are just in design in in behavior in, in so many things like uh, I've always got so much respect for sharks and and will always advocate for their preservation and and you know more understanding and knowledge of, of them for a lot of people because I think the time of a lot of people viewing shark purely through the lens of jaws should start to hopefully a road and people can look at them for, for what they are. Absolutely. And I think obviously, you know, now we've talked about your story for the last hour or so. And, and I said it in, in, in the beginning, it's a crazy story. Mm. And we also talked about you shooting a documentary about everything. And I guess like everything that happened and, but also like what's happening now. Um, do you think like for you, was that so just something you wanted to do? Like, so it was like a natural part or the missing piece of this whole, of this whole puzzle. 
it's it's an interesting part of the whole puzzle, I think, because like I said at the start, or not so much at the start, but like I said, I'm not the type of person that necessarily, you know, wants to, or that, that's, you know, super extroverted. Like I'm not the type of person that, that has always wanted to, you know, put my hand up and say, look at me, look what I'm doing. The, um, the nature of being attacked by a shark kind of puts you in that, that limelight. And I know, <clears throat> I know early on, like, you, you get a lot of contact from different, you know, um, TV stations or, or, you know, broadcasting companies that will offer to buy your story so they can do like a, we have like 60 minutes here in Australia. They'll, they'll do something like that, which is highly sensationalized, focuses entirely on the attack. And, uh, really, you know, it's not the way that I ever felt comfortable selling my story. Like I, I talk about selling my stories as something because that's always the way it was it was viewed. Because people are like, Oh, you can sell your story and make money out of it. And yeah. I was like, Well, I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that, especially if it's in a way that they're gonna portray sharks like that. It really does link in with how I do feel about it. And the other reason is because I that was in the early days. Like I didn't feel like my story was done yet. Like it's you know, over five years since the attack now and I'm only just getting to the documentary because there's so much more to the story than just the attack. And it comes back to, you know, what we said at the start is that it's not about the attack, although we are going to tell the story of the attack, but not just my story, it's it's other people's story as well because, you know, the perspectives of like Joel and Aggie and, and you know, saving me on the beach the afternoon, like my parents... Um, even like the surgeon, so, get, getting yeah, those getting perspectives those. is really important when it comes to telling the whole story because, you know, from my point of view, like you, you get a, a pretty good idea by, you know, talking to me what I stand for and, and what this all means to me. But I think it's important to bring those other people in and, and kind of give a bit of closure on what it's meant for them as well. So not only being able to tell those parts of the story, but to be able to go on further than just the attack. To be on to be able to go on further than just the recovery and getting back in the water, but to address that question that I kept asking myself of like what next? Because yeah, that's something that's that has really driven me to try and do more and more in life and take on different challenges which are a lot, you know, different to what I would have tried before, but that really kind of push the boundaries of what not only, you know, doctors thought would were going to be possible of me, but also what I think is possible of me. So that was something that was kind of introduced. I did the Oxfam 100K walk in, in Sydney two years ago um, as a, a physical challenge, but also as a mental challenge to, to try and get to that point where your body wants to give up, but your brain tells you to keep going. And the being able to tell that part of the story, I think is really important too, as far as, you know, having that theme around human potential and, and what we can do despite what we tell ourselves and despite what a lot of other people tell us as well. Cause I think that's something that, that people need to hear as well. So kind of the final bit of that story that we want to provide is, um, paddling the Molokai. And I think that's significant for a few things like doing a 52k open ocean paddle bringing in that ocean element is, is really important. Um, being able to do it despite the operation that I've had. So I don't think we've actually mentioned the details of the operation that saved my leg, but they took my left back muscle from my back and, and implanted that in my leg to, to keep the bone alive so they, they wouldn't have to amputate. But that means that I don't have the most 
vital muscle in my back for paddling. So being able to complete the Molokai with, you know, only one lap going through that, that physical and mental challenge, I think is a really good way to, to kind of add that human potential side of, of the story to it. And for me, I think kind of the, the overall theme of the film is kind of like what it's like to live life with a second chance. Like you're going to do as much as you can, um, knowing how short time is and doing these things is a really good way. I think of, of finding more in life than what a lot of people often see. Yeah, I think, and also like this whole project gives you, you know, the chance to actually control your own narrative versus, versus selling it to whatever 60 minutes australia or like some new station and they just gonna run with whatever they want to run with right yeah. that actually fits their agenda and their and their narrative and i think that way or this way i should say it creates a lot more depth to the story and significance as well right i mean it's it, it's it's much more it's much more meaningful to see the big picture rather than just focusing on one thing that 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 kind of you know one piece of the puzzle that kind of um and obviously the most dramatic one as well when there's so many other components that make you you today yeah yeah definitely and that that's a pretty key part of it as well and being able to tell the story the way i want it to be told is the reason why um we're producing it under our own label. So myself and my friend Sam, who was the one that reached out with the idea in the first place of just doing a short, you know, five-minute clip and then kind of going from that into saying we should do a whole documentary. But producing it under our own label gives us the the most amount of, of power to be able to do that. Even down to the fact that, like, I've been doing the interview, so I'm the interviewer when it comes to interviewing, like, my parents and Joel and Aggie, which is a really unique approach to take. Mm, but absolutely. it really does let me control, you know, what I want to get out of too. Because in some of those interviews, I've found out things that I didn't know about my story. And I think that's a powerful thing to, to have as a bit of a side note as well. So having that control, being able to tell it the way that I want a lot of people to actually hear the story is, uh, I think, you know, one of the, the more important parts that I, unless you look, you know, into it a little bit deeper, I think a lot of people would probably miss on the surface of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, it's, there's a little clip I saw on your Instagram and I think it's 30 seconds or whatever. And then, mm. you know, it looks amazing. Like I obviously like, I can't wait to see it. Do you want to shout out the name and, and I guess like the, the goal for it, like where can people see it? Where can people find it kind of thing? Yeah. Um, the clip that you would have seen is kind of like our, our proof of concept. So we've actually got um, a, a more of a, a proper trailer that we're going to release in the next couple of months. Um, the film's called Pyrophytic, uh, which is a, a pretty meaningful title. Um, so Pyrophytic is, it links back to pyrophytes, which are a type of plant that we have, um, especially in Australia, that need fire in order to actually germinate and grow. So it kind of relates to, to my story and needing something seemingly terrible to happen for you to actually grow and, and you know, to, to become bigger and better. Um, despite the fact that it is a, a difficult title to say and, and sometimes a difficult title to remember, it does have a lot of meaning for, for me, um, personally. So we're still, still working through it at the moment. Um, 
we have pretty high hopes for for where it's going to end up. Like we're we're hoping, you know, if I can say where to to check it out, I'm going to say on all your major streaming platforms, hopefully in cinemas at film festivals. Like, um, we're we're making the film again. I didn't never like the idea of selling the story. So if I don't make money off it, if I don't do well with it, I don't really care as long as I get the opportunity to tell it. And I think that's a a really important thing, but we're aiming to have it finished at the end of next year. Um, The main reason for that being the Molokai paddles in um, June of 2022. We're going to hopefully do it this year, but it was cancelled due to the the lack of travel. So um, hopefully keep an eye out for that. If if anyone wants to follow the progress, um, you can search Pyrophytic Film on Instagram uh, and there's a uh, an Instagram page which you can follow all the behind the scenes stuff and everything that we're doing on a on a daily or weekly basis. That's awesome. And uh I think that leads me to my last kind of point I want to talk to you about. And it's actually about something you said and I can't remember if it was in one of the podcasts or interviews or 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 um news articles that that I found online, but it's you said I heard you say that you don't want to be defined by what happened, but rather by what you did next, right? And when I Googled you this morning, I literally just typed in your name and there's like a whole bunch of stuff that comes up. And like the first thing I see is like this like sensationalized headline, like saying, uh, what was it? Like shark attack survivor, brick, um, trains for a marathon. Right. And obviously that's, that's one thing I want to talk to talk about the marathon part. But what I really want to talk about first is like, why is this quote or this, because it became a, a mantra kind of thing for you, right? Throughout this process. Like, why is this so important that people don't, I guess, like associate with, associate you with the attack, but rather with what you did after? Yeah, it's something I I can't remember when it actually came in into you know my list of of phrases that I've, I've been saying along the way, but I think it it happened pretty early on, like when I realised how you know especially I think it was the week I got out of hospital. Um, I was just in the the mall in Wollongong, and a lady came up to me and she's like, "Oh, you're the guy that got attacked by a shark." <laughs> And I was, I was like kind of shocked by it, but I was like, yeah, I, I suppose I am. And for me, I was like, is that just who I am? Like she, you know, she, luckily she was nice and she said like, how are you going now? Wish you all the best. But that shock value for me kind of got me to realize that I don't want to be remembered just as the person who had this bad thing happen to them and live by those circumstances. Like the motivation to, to want to be defined by what you do afterwards is, is really how we'll all be remembered, you know, not only just in, in setbacks, but in life. It's, it's really your actions that speak so much. Like a lot of people say actions speak louder than words and, and doing is really the, the key when it comes to putting these things in place to, if it's to be a better version of ourselves, if it's to, to achieve a goal. There's so many instances in life where a lot of people can, can lose sight of, of the actions that it takes to, to get to that point. Like I said, you know, before with the mountains, a lot of people get so focused on, you know, the, the couple steps ahead or looking at the peak or worrying about what's behind them that they forget about, you know, the, the important things that they're trying to do next to help them achieve those goals. And I think 
for for me being able to use that as you know the way I want to kind of be remembered is is very important and why I try and do some of these things like the the walk the paddle the marathon because that I think for a lot of people hopefully you know if I do it enough <laughs> it won't be from you know shark attack survivor preparing for marathon it'll be something like you know just I don't even know how I want that title to go if it's like inspirational figure or, or if it's just regular Brett Canellan. not to be shark attack survivor because I think if we can start to be defined more by our actions and not so much you know what happens to us it, it can be a big thing when it comes to having satisfaction when you look back at your life in you know 20 30 40 years time and you say well what, what did I actually do and you know what can I be proud of so that's kind of what I'm working on you know not only for for myself but you know for for a lot of people so I think what a lot of people don't realize and something that I have learned is to be afraid of regret like that was the reason really why I decided to chase my dreams of becoming a professional surfer and as I gained more clarity why I wanted to put so much into my recovery and, and why I do so much now is because I don't want to look back when I'm older and say I was just you know playing the cards I was dealt because there was so much more I could have done and, and so much more to uncover when it comes to living out the the full potential of, of what we can be. Yeah, I think these are beautiful last words. You know, there's only one thing for me to ask or say to you, and that's if people want to get in touch with you, right, or find you, how can you how can they do that? Um, almost anywhere. Um, on all social medias, if you search my name, um, it'll come up whether that be Instagram, Facebook, um, anywhere you, you kind of want to find me, I'll, I'll be there. Um, I've actually got a website if anyone um, did want to look at, you know, some of the work that I do specifically. Um, and you can follow what I'm doing, like I said, with the Pyrophytic page and um, a lot of things around that. But uh, I suppose if you just search my name on, on Google, you know the results that come up there. So if you can if you want to bypass all of that nonsense, you can just go to, to my website, www.com, and, and there's a lot of info on there just about what I'm doing and um, has an email if anyone wants to get in touch with anything. Awesome, man. That's – I had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah. No, it was good. 90 like, minutes later. Yeah. And we could have gone on for, I don't know, probably another hour or two, but it was it was really fun and it was really insightful as well. And I think – you know, we touched on a lot of different points. Obviously, you know, the whole, the, the trauma itself, but then also the road and, and the journey, right? Through it all and the mental health aspect and, and I guess this, the support system. And I guess the, the, the big takeaway of it all is like, you know, purpose, like yeah. your sense of purpose. And I had a lot of fun actually exploring all these different points and, 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 um, and topics with you today that's good I'm, I'm glad and i always am interested how i go with with telling my story to you know people i know or you know close mates because i think there's a lot of things that they don't know about the story and and things that you know i think come up throughout it where i'm always very mindful of that and i not only enjoy the opportunity just to catch up with you because it's been so long but to i think <laughs> If you can share something personal about yourself with someone that you already know, it kind of speaks a lot to 
how important it is to, to really talk to people and um i mean to, to be open and that's something that I, I love to be able to do through things like this so i've i've enjoyed it too and i can say i've, I've learned as well so <laughs> being able to talk i always pick up new things not only just in my own story but different perspectives that people tell me about it and the way they interpret it which mean a lot to me as well so i think that's great awesome man that's it for today but um sure we're gonna catch up off camera for sure as well yeah. so um i'm looking forward to that beautiful love it This is it guys, our first episode is officially a wrap and I had a lot of fun. That being said, we're only just at the beginning of our podcasting journey and I would really like to make you, the listener, part of it all as well. Um, so please get in touch with me at sunnyatluix.com if you have any inputs or suggestions or comments on what we could do better or really if you just have an interesting guest or a topic you would really like us to to feature as well. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with us. And like I said in the beginning, our first episode is officially in the books and hopefully it's gonna be one of many. And all there is to say for me now is until next time.